You're listening to episode 77 with Aaron Tartakovsky, CEO and co-founder of Epic Clean Tech. Just in time for World Toilet Day, y'all. This episode is brought to you by MasterMeter. Hi, this is Tom Ferguson, VP of Programming for Imagine H2O. This is the podcast that is revolutionizing the way the water industry communicates with the public. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. If there's one thing I can be certain of when it comes to you, it's that you love water. And if you're a water utility looking to manage your water you love, then you'll want to talk to our friends over at MasterMeter. They understand that you can't manage what you don't measure, and smart water management begins with accurate measurement. Account for every drop produced and delivered because the utility's progression towards smart cities and IoT begins here. We're trying to be the game changers of communication, and our partner, MasterMeter, is here to deliver game-changing results for you across finance, customer service, and utility operations. They offer an array of products to meet your utility's needs. To determine which smart water metering solution is right for you, visit MasterMeter.com. Okay, water nerds, so if you think communicating the value of water is difficult, talking about what happens after the water is used is even more complicated. Yes, I'm talking about wastewater, black water, reclaimed water. I know all y'all like to call it something a little different. Non-water nerds, aka our customers, they call it sewage or poop or worse. Uh, but this is a side of water where some seriously epic stuff is going down and we chat with Aaron about the challenges that come with communicating on this side of the water industry. We also talk about the value of being interdisciplinary. More perspectives around the table draw more ideas and divergent thinking that lends itself to more effective and innovative solutions. As we innovate our way out of some of the biggest challenges facing water, we have to start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and accepting that the way we've always done it may not be the best may not be the best way to do it moving forward. We have to support one another through this evolution if we truly want the revolution required to take our industry to the next level. Aaron Tartakovsky is co-founder and CEO of Epic Cleantech, a pioneering green technology startup that is redefining urban wastewater. Aaron previously served as Director of Business Development and Marketing for CB Engineers, a San Francisco-based engineering design firm where he also ran its R&D division. Prior to that, he worked in federal politics and has remained active in affecting public policy on the local, state, and national levels. Aaron speaks frequently on water and clean tech at universities and at industry gatherings throughout the U.S. and recently co-authored the William J. Worthen Foundation's Water Reuse Practice Guide. To respond to California's water crisis, Aaron was a founder of the Israel-California Green Tech Partnership, a binational in in initiative launched at Google's Tel Aviv headquarters in order to develop solutions to the drought and spearhead innovation in the global water industry. The initiative was highlighted at the 2016 White House Water Summit. Aaron was recognized as a Green Biz 30 Under 30 in 2017 and was recently selected for the 2019 class of Young Pros by Water and Waste Digest magazine. So, kind of a badass. And without further ado, let's get to the show. So, Aaron, oh my gosh, we are so pumped to be talking to you today. Like, thanks for taking the time, man. I like how you just jumped in with a water pun right away. <laughs> yeah, pumped. <laughs> I mean, I was going to go with jazzed. Oh, jazzed. I'm jazzed. Did well, I say? Me, well, let me say something because okay. I had the distinct honor of hosting you two who were leading a delegation of water professionals during, was it, it was Water Week it here was, in San Francisco? Yeah. It was. 
Water Innovation Week. And uh, when this delegation, about 40 folks, came through Epic Cleantech and they told me that you two would be leading the tour, I kind of had like my little... F- a little fangirl moment. I felt like I was meeting the Beatles of the water industry. So. Oh my wow. God. Wow. Like that's, I don't know if I can claim that. Like the Beatles are pretty, that's legit, you. Yeah. That's the a two, Hall of Fame situation. The two person Beatle band. Yeah. <laughs> We're just looking for Ringo and Star. Well, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That works George. too. Let's just go, let's just go with that. <laughs> Okay. All right. You guys can already tell what kind of an interview this is going to be. Like, we're so stoked to be like, Aaron's a buddy, you know? Like, he said, oh my God, you guys are here. And me and Ari- Arianne turned around to see, like, oh, who came in? Who's here? <laughs> oh, us? Yeah. Um, you know, when you find people who laugh at all your toilet jokes, you really, you, you bond a connection with them. And I feel that connection with you guys. And so, uh, and first of all, thank you for laughing at my jokes because it's rarity. <laughs> all day. Exciting. Yes. I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Your shit's funny. Yeah, it is funny. It is. Thank you. Um, So we normally ask people, the first question right out the gate is if they chose water or if water chose them. But I think I'm 100% sure that water chose you. Uh, I love your origin story. Um, Can you give us the epic synopsis from the streets of Tel Aviv to the poli-sci Cali guy turned poop on the rooftop water tech professional <laughs> yes actually I'm gonna, I'm gonna i'm gonna change my bio to just what you just said right there all right but um yeah so we you know we have a very topsy-turvy genesis story um so it goes back about 10 years when one of my co-founders was walking down the streets of tel aviv as he said and he was walking his little pug dog polly and polly did his business on the sidewalk as little dogs do and he was <laughs> on the phone not paying attention didn't clean up after his dog just at that moment, a police officer comes driving by, sees this, writes him up a fine. Um, him being the fiery-tempered Israeli entrepreneur that he is, rather than just paying the fine and moving on with his life, decided, you know what? We got to design a new solution for cleaning up after our dogs. We shouldn't have to put a plastic bag on our hand and do it that way. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's one of the world's most pressing problems, as you know. Yes, I would say so. Great. <laughs> and so rather than uh, – so, so he went to his friend – who happens to be a nanobiotechnologist, which the name in and of itself is impressive. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have this, a friend like that. <laughs> and this guy um, went to his lab, took a food processor, started mixing in dog waste with different chemical blends, and after a few months of tinkering around, found one combination that when he combined the two, created a really quick chemical oxidation reaction, basically evaporated the moisture out, neutralized the odor, killed all the pathogens, and left you with this dry product that after testing turned out to be not only not bad for plants, but good for plants. Mm-hmm. So this product, and I don't know if I told you guys the name of this product, but you're going to enjoy it. This product, and I'm going to do one of my accents, yes. the, the Israeli, yes. uh, they decided to call this product the Ash Poopy. <laughs> Why? Because it turns the poop into ash. And uh, this, it was basically a high-tech pooper scooper. This thing, as all things poop-related do, got the attention of the internet. They were then approached by the Bill Gates Foundation, who at the time were running the Reinvent the Toilet Challenge, premise of which is much of the world, about two and a half billion people, don't have access to sewered infrastructure. So how can we come up with decentralized solutions? So my partners ended up getting a grant from the Gates Foundation. We're developing um, essentially single-use toilet applications utilizing this same chemical reaction. And w- these guys were then presenting at a conference a few years ago in San Francisco when uh, there was a- an engineer in the audience that day. So this engineer 
is a former Soviet rocket engineer who fled the Soviet Union as a political refugee, came to this country in 1978, has since been in the building sciences since then, so designing big high-rise buildings, campuses, things like that. He saw these guys with their toilet application, you know, just wowing the audience with, with, with all, their, all their scatological innovations. And he said, I wonder if we can take what they're doing for a single toilet and scale it up into a building. So that former Soviet rocket engineer also happens to be my father. <laughs> Pop-Tart. Pop-Tart, yes. That's my name for him. <laughs> yes, and I can't wait to tell him that he has a new nickname. Yes. And so my father saw these guys and he said, I wonder if we can scale it up. And at the time, he didn't know anything about the industry. He didn't know much about the water industry other than designing building plumbing. And so I was brought in. Um, at the time, I was working in politics. And my job was to be the middleman between this Israeli company. I used to live in Israel, I speak Hebrew, his company. And I basically just spent six months going out and talking to everyone I could talk to. Mm-hmm. People in the water industry, building engineers, architects, developers, people in the regulatory industry, the EPA. Um, I went to farmers markets and would go to people and say, hey, would you use treated human waste on your crops? And as I was doing all these, uh, having all these conversations... Um, what it ended up, I was, I was looking for red flags, basically someone to tell me, well, this is a terrible idea. You were probably a red flag for some. Yeah. <laughs> I was a, I was a red this. flag for many. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I, I, security had been called on me many times. Yeah. I can see that. And, uh, and yeah. And so after sort of all this, all this exploration, we realized that this is actually something and we spun it off into what is now, as you noted, Epic Clean Tech. And, uh, it's been, uh, you know, it's been just a, a love fest ever since. I love it. Awesome. Love that. Well, okay. So you just kind of started with, okay, we have Epic Clean Tech, but this is 2019. It's almost over. You guys have had some super exciting things happening at Epic Clean Tech. So y'all in y'all installed your first building. Woo! Yes. Yeah. We are, we are in the process of going into our first building, as you noted. Okay. And uh, this is a 35-story high-rise in downtown San Francisco, nestled between Uber and Twitter and Square. So we wow. are in in the in the thick of it. Yes. Tell me more about this. I yeah. Know. Yeah. What's the most exciting, exciting thing about this? <laughs> well, so I mean, I mean, I just I guess for the viewers, or, or not the viewers, the listeners. listeners. Yes, the <laughs> listeners. Some people maybe will look at the podcast image. So they was our viewers. They, they that would be me us. and Ariane. <laughs> Um, so what we're doing is, um, we're, we're part of the decentralized reuse trend. So we would go into a building and we install a device, um, about the size of two parking spots that actually collects all of the black water in a building. And we're actually, we're, we're essentially pulling out all of the organic solids that people are flushing down their toilets and coming down the drains. We take all of those solids, we dewater them on site, and then we actually take all the solids, put them through that same chemical reaction I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and turn it into a super high quality biosolid that we can then use slash sell in and around cities. So replace having to bring in fossil fuel-based fertilizers from, from, from outside. And then the water that, um, that comes off of our process now that all the solids are removed can then be treated and recycled back into the building. So for you know, a residential building, you can recycle almost 50% of the water for a commercial building that goes up to almost 95%. And so what we're doing is basically developing a whole new model where decentralized and centralized can work in tandem. So we can actually help them diversify their water supply portfolio, diversify their solids management portfolio, save the building owners on their rates. So it's kind of a win, win, win when you factor in also that we're helping the environment. Yeah. I love it. 
I love that you called it Blackwater too. I love all the different names that are coming out for the names of the water after we use it. So yep. when you said black water, I just like started singing like a oh, black water, keep on rolling. Mississippi. Yeah. So now that song will forever. Yeah. Be I'm going to start bringing you to a lot of my pitches. And then when I say black water, I'm just going to have you start oh, singing black that water, song. Keep on rolling. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We're game. Dude. <laughs> we would, we would be down to hang out with Epic clean tech on the reg. I mean, just make it happen. <laughs> You're hired. All right. Ooh, that's recorded. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, the reason that we wanted to have you on is you're on the side of the industry. Just like I said, that's pretty difficult to communicate to outsiders, at least, you know, poop is turns out still pretty taboo for most people. Um, but your communication skills are on point when it comes to this. Like on one hand, you have to explain the science to folks that might have no under, uh, no understanding of that or context of it. But on the other hand, you also have to gain buy-in from the subject matter experts to move your projects forward, like this new installation you just did in the building. So from a communication standpoint, what advice can you give to other folks out there that are on this side of the industry facing similar challenges? Yeah, well, you know, look, I think I have the benefit of, you know, coming from completely outside of this industry. Um, actually, all four of our co-founders come from outside of the water, wastewater industry. And so I think nice. for us, we have that benefit of, you know, we, we needed to learn all this stuff, you know, from scratch. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, and especially when it comes to communicating this stuff to the public, there needs to be an understanding that for the vast majority of people, they never have to grapple with these issues. <laughs> I mean, we've designed, I mean, the, the system that we've designed essentially developed from the Romans and, and you know, have, having evolved over hundreds of years is we've designed a system where we literally don't have to think about what happens after we flush our toilet or whether we turn off, when we turn off the shower. We've designed what we call a flush and forget attitude. And so I think you need to meet people sort of at the basic fact that when they hear wastewater and sewage, they, they contend with what we call in the industry the yuck factor. You and are. but then from yeah. that yes Sorry. or that or, or or whatever noise that was. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we are huge Jimmy Fallon fans. It was an ew, but like an eh. Got it. That makes sense. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's a guy here, um, a, a guy here in San Francisco's in the sustainability industry, Kyle Pickett from Urban Fabric, who's a, a good friend of mine, but who's also been one of the champions of onsite reuse, and he often says that all you know all the water on the earth was the same water that the dinosaurs were using. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, when we talk about the hydrological cycle, when you talk about it sort of in terms like that um, and start to explain that to people, they start to get it. You know, mm -hmm. you know, people, I tend to believe people are pretty intelligent, but you also have to contend with the fact that when you're explaining this versus other things, there's a lot of preconceived notions that toilet, bad, poop, bad. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and I, lo I love that you use that example because talking about the being the same water the dinosaurs drink is something that we use all the time in the public education that we did for, for kids. Mm -hmm. And so, like, as adults, though, we're like, oh, well, we wouldn't say it like that to an adult because, you know, that's rude. condescending or rude or whatever. But, I mean, no. I mean, you're exactly right. People aren't talking about that or thinking about it at all. So you need to bring it down to the most simplest level. And for most people, they haven't heard or thought about the water cycle since, you know, fifth grade, mm -hmm. maybe. <laughs> yeah. So like, just remember that, remember your audience basically. So I love that you use that example. Right. And, and it's a complete cultural thing. Cause as I mentioned, I lived in Israel 
and I'm in Israel a lot. And in Israel, where they're recycling almost 86% of all the wastewater in the country, in Israel, water is a, is a national security imperative. Everyone grapples with it. Everyone's aware of water because it's so critical to everything that they do. Which is not to say it's not critical in the U.S., but, and frankly, this is a testament to our water professionals in the U.S. that most people never have to think about it because the system generally works. Yeah. Um, you know, they only hear about water when things go bad. Right. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's a bad thing. And, yeah. and we need to fix that. I'm so glad that you brought up that stat because I read this book called Let There Be Water and the rate of reuse was one of the um, statistics that stayed with me because I think the next one after Israel was like Spain or something at like 11%. So jumping from 86% to like, it's unreal. It's just, it's so amazing. Yeah. And you come down to the US, the number is like closer to one to 2%. Yeah. yeah, and that's depressing. <laughs> it's depressing, but it's exciting too because it means that there's so Great much more growth. we can do. Yes. Exactly. Love so that more. attitude. <laughs> <laughs> so as if poop wasn't hard enough to talk about, um, we you're working closely with the utilities and cities to gain buy-in for these projects, and you're also talking decentralized systems. So how are you making that not threatening to water utilities? How are you making it like a we thing and not like an us versus them private public thing? Totally. Yeah. Look, and, you know, early on, I think, and, and we've learned how to do this better. You know, I, I remember distinctly, there was a conference in New York where, where we presented at, and I was getting kind of a, a lot of blank, it was mostly utility people in the room, and I got sort of some blank stares. And then after someone came up and I said, you know, what'd you think? And he said, oh, you're the guy who's trying to put central utilities out of business. And so what happened was I basically learned, and then first of all, that's not it. That's literally yeah. the opposite. It's the opposite of what we're trying to do. Yeah. And so the, when we work with utilities and here in San Francisco, um, you know, we've had a really nice relationship with the SFPUC for a long time, and they've been sort of incredible in, in helping to sort of give us the breathing room to do this and to try this out. Um, it's talking about this as a hybrid approach. And as I mentioned earlier, it's decentralized and centralized working in tandem. Right. Everyone understands that our infrastructure installed anywhere from 30 to 100 years ago um, is not keeping up with our growing cities. Mm-hmm. This isn't just in the U.S., this is globally. I mean, we have 70% of the world's population expected to live in cities by 2050. We can't just keep doing things the same way. We're going to have to explore new models. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in San Francisco, and again, I, you know, I work most closely here with our utility, but in, in 2015, we actually put into place a new ordinance that requires that all new large development projects over 250,000 square feet actually have to have on-site wastewater recycling. Wow. Yeah. And look, and, and the premise of that, it, it's, it's super pragmatic. We were in the middle of a drought and our, our, our folks started asking ourselves, why are we still using fresh water from our national parks to flush our toilets when we can be manufacturing water in these buildings to do just that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so for us, it's just been all about, look, let us, you identify for us what the pain points are in your utility. So in, you know, the case of San Francisco, um, it is things like is solids management. It is things like low flows in our sewers. People just mm-hmm. generally use less water. Our, our, our fixtures are more efficient. Our toilets use less water. And we've had, we actually have issues here in many cities of low flow buildup in our sewers. So solids accumulating, they further corrode the pipes, they create odors. Well, what if we can come in and help you with that? Yep. So it's just all, it's always just talking about how can we work together to make the whole system better. Yeah, for sure. And I know getting to tour your facility and then we got to tour at um, SPU while we were, or San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, uh, while we were there. And it was 
I don't know. It's very inspiring because I feel like you guys are sort of this like living laboratory right now and you're kind of working through and figuring out these things from, from technology perspective, from ordinance perspective, so that we all, we all drink the Kool-Aid and get on board with the fact that, you know, this is a thing, this is legit that, that we can do that, you know, we don't have to say, hmm, I wonder how this would work. We can be like, well, just call up Aaron and uh, he can explain everything for you. So. Well, I, totally. And, and, and <laughs> yes, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll announce my, my cell phone number at the end of this. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll, definitely. <laughs> we'll post it on, uh, on our uh, Twitter. Bye-bye. <laughs> um, so I love this whole notion of working together. You know, we wouldn't be where we are today if it weren't for the network of people around us and not just our, not just our fam, our water nerd fam, but, you know, people from all different kinds of, of disciplines. You know, we have a whole team of honorary uh, water nerd. So why is being interdisciplinary so important when you're talking about driving change and innovation? I'm, so I'm a huge, huge fan of interdisciplinary everything. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's sort of one of the deadliest things that a company can do or any industry is to just silo itself. Um, because I think that, you know, there's, you never know where you're going to learn something new and something exciting. And that's, I mean, I can't name sort of the amount of times that that has happened um, at Epic where I'll be doing something completely different or I'll be at a, a, a completely different industry conference and they'll say something, you know, for example, about an interesting business model that they've developed. I'm like, oh, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense here. And, and, and that's actually exactly what happened for Epic um, was working, you know, talking to a lot of my friends in the solar industry where, you know, they have technologies, you know, where you, you know, no money down, solar power purchase agreements, where it's all leasing. And, and I thought, you know, you don't see that a whole lot in the water industry. And all of a sudden now you're seeing more of, you know, wastewater as a service or wastewater treatment as a service. And, you know, I think this whole notion of interdisciplinary is great because you never know sort of what crazy ideas are going to flourish when two completely disparate things are brought together. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's sort of the definition of uh, creativity and and innovation is is connecting two things that you wouldn't ordinarily do to create something completely different. So, um, and I also love that you talked about uh, silos because a lot of times our industry does is guilty of that mm-hmm. of of siloing folks, and so I think that from a workforce perspective. When you do that, you alienate people. Like nobody wants to sit down and do this exact same thing every single day with the same people. Um, there's just so much that can come out of diversifying your your day and, and what that looks like. And, and a lot of people, especially some of the younger generations coming in, really thrive in situations where they do get to do something different every day or at least have the opportunity to do something like that. So I think from a workforce perspective, taking that interdisciplinary approach is also important when thinking about attracting folks to work. Totally, totally. And, you know, on that point, I mean, I always love to talk about our founding team, sort of our four co-founders come from completely different industries. We have a plant scientist and nanobiotechnologist, a former Soviet rocket engineer and a recovering political operative. (laughs) I mean, you design your ideal water team on paper. This one doesn't make sense, (laughs) but we come with, you know, these different sort of bases of knowledge that when you bring them together, you know, the plant scientist has an idea and me as a political, you know, someone who sort of has a political background, I can think, you know what? Well, I know that the park department has this big plan that they're trying to do and that idea might actually sync up with that. And so, you know, we come up with all sorts of zany stuff all the time. Um, I love it. Yeah. 
Well, I love that you weren't afraid to learn as you go too. Whereas like most people may have been intimidated by not coming with that background because you're working in a highly technical, highly regulated uh, field and situation and, and you guys all came together and you're like, we can figure this shit out, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Very literally, yes. Yeah, we can figure this shit out. Yeah, so and, we- and, 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 but you know, even on that point, you know, there's, it's not like we came in, we're like, we're going to figure all this out. It's all good. We're great. Yeah. You know, cause all of, all of the time we would run into things. We're like, wow, that's probably something that someone in the water industry would have known. <laughs> um, and so, you know, and, and especially as a founder, I think a lot of founders get, you know, what people call what people call all the time, imposter syndrome. You're like, do oh, I really belong okay. here? Like, what the hell am I doing here? But I think we, and, and this is something that sort of our team really drills into each other is that we are always learning. So for yeah. example, um, we're, we're always aware of sort of where our shortcomings are. So with our director of engineering, who he is a mechanical engineer by training, when we were designing our sort of our, our, our biosolid soil blends and trying different things, and we built a greenhouse, and we're trying sort of all these different sort of variations of our product. I said, you know, he said, look, this isn't my area of expertise. I said, all right, go get some books, go, re- go meet with some professors and soil scientists and figure this shit out. Yeah. And he did. And, you know, we're planting a whole biosolid garden here at our, at our headquarters now with all sorts of beautiful lush plants growing off of our steroid biosolid product. I love it. You're totally <laughs> going to have to take a picture and, and send that so we can post that. Yeah. I would love to do that. Yeah. Love my plants. Um, I'm sorry. Was I inter- Did I interrupt you? Did, were you going to say anything else? You? No, actually, I think I interrupted you. So please. <laughs> no, you're allowed to. You're the guest. You go. Um, okay, I'll go. Uh, so when you first joined Epic, you did some extensive homework, as you kind of mentioned earlier, and reached out to a number of utilities about the work you were doing. Was there anything that surprised you that came out of that research on the water industry? You know, I think the it was less with the utility folks because um, by and large, the utility was was generally pretty supportive of, you know, do it, you know, figure yeah. it out. You know, I think once it actually comes time to installing these things and figuring out the regulations and the public health protections and everything, everything else, the conversation will, you know, it, it'll get into that area. Sure. But the biggest pushback we actually got was from all the equipment manufacturers. Ah, and wow. the most interesting thing, and honestly, this is, was the most exciting thing for me, but I can't tell you the amount of times where people, where we would meet with people in the equipment manufacturing side or the manufacturer's rep side who said, what you're doing won't work. Mm-hmm. You know, the technologies don't do that. What you're trying to achieve with this piece of machinery, you can't do that. And people sort of all along said, no, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. And, you know, we took, we, we obviously took, took it with a grain of salt because we said, sure. oh, these guys know their stuff. But we also said, well, you know, F that, we're going to do this anyways. We're going to yeah, figure yeah. this out and we'll make it work. And we have. Yeah, yeah. I love that. But I'm glad that you didn't just take that for face value and just say, Oh, well, that won't work. I'm glad that you had that. I, I don't know if that's just a gumption, entrepreneurial, Israeli thing. I don't know. And just like kept going with it because I mean, uh, yeah, of course, everyone's going to say you can't do that. But to take that with a grain and salt and then be like, challenge accepted. We're, we'll see. I mean, they may have been right and they may have been wrong, but you guys went and continued. It. Yeah, continued trying that, that out. Um, so I know that I mentioned kind of before to your point of interdisciplinary and how that can be attractive to uh, next gen, like this, the industry is a buzz sort of with this conversation about how we attract 
the the folks who are going to come in and be the next leaders in the industry and I mean we're we're pretty biased but we think this is like the best industry to be in yeah um but what brought you to the industry like what was it about it that was attractive to you and also if you were required if you were hired to recruit for the water industry what would be the story that you would tell to bring people in yeah, you know, look, just like our company founding, um, you know, my story is also just a little bit topsy-turvy. Yeah. Um, you know, on paper, me getting into water doesn't necessarily make sense. I don't uh, think anyone's does. Well, right. You know, I think my, in, in my undergrad in college, I studied history and Jewish studies. So I think by all, you know, <laughs> I essentially was on track to become a historian or a rabbi. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then in college and then in my master's degree in Israel, I studied political science, studying military theory and doctrine and sort of a whole another set of stuff. Um, but I always had sort of this environmental bent to, to me, sort of looking back to when I was a little kid. You know, I was like obsessed with Steve Irwin. I love Jane Goodall. I read all, all of Jane Goodall stuff, which actually, nice. besides a side story, is that in middle school, we were all asked to write stories to our heroes, uh, letters. We were asked to write letters to our heroes, and I wrote one to Jane Goodall. Nice. Aww. I never heard back from her. <laughs> and the kid who wrote to Wolfgang Puck got a chocolate bar back. Mm, wah, wah. And uh, so, yeah, I was like, you know, maybe I should go into the food industry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she couldn't have sent you like a monkey or something, you know. But but you know, it's just sort of good to go back to the question. So, how did I get into it? Is that I, I always sort of had this bent to me, um, sort of 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 loving nature, having an appreciation for the outdoors, and and water is obviously such an integral part of that. But I think especially when I lived in the Middle East and when I was actually studying conflict, you see how much water has to do with a lot of the biggest conflicts, um, sort of the biggest wars that ended up erupting or with refugee situations, why you have mass amounts of people moving from here to there. And it largely is always around water and being able to farm and provide food for families. So all of those things always sort of had me, I guess, sort of circling around water. Um, but for me, it was just a, the issue was I didn't know what the water industry was. I didn't know what that meant. Right. Um, and, you know, now that I've sort of gone, you know, now that I am part of the water industry. And I think part of my learning was going to water conferences, yeah. which for those not in the water industry, get ready because there's a lot of them. Yeah, we, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think, I think for, for a f sort of to answer your question about to folks not in the water industry, how to recruit them in, I think the biggest thing is you, you need to just at least um, explore it a little bit because, because you see water touches everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, water is involved with every single facet of human existence and industry that even if you don't think sort of water makes sense for you, mm -hmm. once you start learning about it, you're going to be like, oh, you know what? Like I'm really into agriculture and water has a huge part to play in that. Mm -hmm. Or I'm into manufacturing, water is involved with that as well. So I think, um, you know, in terms of recruiting other than the conferences, which is obviously one of the funnest pieces, I think it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it goes back to the education component we were talking about before where people just don't know a lot, mm -hmm. but you open this world to them and you'll find that you're going to get all sorts of, all sorts of water aficionados popping out of everywhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, when I, I fell into the water industry, um, you know, on my, with my own story and I was in water utilities, drinking water side and there for 10 years. And it wasn't until I, left and started this gig that 
I saw really how big the industry is and how much it affects every single job and in person. And so even like as the public educator who's teaching on this, you know, I, it didn't even sink in with me until I got to see the whole thing and go to all the different conferences and meet all these different people. And I'm like, holy crap, holy crap. <laughs> this, like I can finally say that and it means something to someone. Holy crap. <laughs> Um, this is a huge industry that everyone can be a part of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the way I talk about sort of folks in the water industry is sort of, I put them on the same, same level as first responders. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in, in terms of the level of importance and sort of the benefit that they provide to the public, it's, it's monumental. And again, I think the unfortunate thing is that a lot of people only ever only have interactions with folks in the water industry when something has it's gone wrong, wrong. Mm-hmm. when you have a blockage, when you have flooding, when there's issues with your drinking water. Um, but I think, and again, I think this is why you guys play such a huge role in the water industry of communication, of educating people on what the water industry does so that there's more positive sort of more positive news, more positive communication going out about what water people actually do and why they're so important and why we should have more statues erected of water utility people. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I love that. I agree. Totally. I think that like when you're talking with the fire and police, you know, they are the same way in that they only come when something's bad, Mm -hmm. but they're revered in a different light. And I feel like it's because, you know, maybe at a very beginning level, they are so prideful at what they're doing. So, you know, and they're, and they're so like loud about this and they're Mm -hmm. like, we're here to save you. And the industry, I feel like, is just now kind of taking ownership and taking pride in what they're doing. Like, we're here to save you. We're here to create water for you. We're here to take away your shit. We're here to make sure that you drink water and it doesn't have pathogens in it and yada, yada. It's like we're, I don't know, we're just behind the times on being so prideful of, of what we're doing. Totally. You know? Totally. And the, And once we, I think, like, start putting up statues and, you know, start having our own you know naming things naming, after water yeah. folks and, and having walking around same. with our hard hats collecting money in the streets like the fire departments do like you know having a volunteer water department like the volunteer fire department yeah i mean if you're so, if you're someone in well any generation but i know that this is really strong and in the this generation and younger is just the sense of kind of saving the world for lack of a better word and i i don't feel like there's any better place that then you can do that. So um, being being Jewish, I resonate really strongly with this idea of, you know, making the world a little better today than it was when I got here and having, mm-hmm. you know, making my own impact in that way and feeling like there's so many little things like, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? And like, mm-hmm. I don't have to finish the work, but I it need to start it. Jewish guilt. Yeah. Know. And then, of course. And, That's but I mean... Enough. But it's just like it's it allows me to feel like in my own way that I am making my corner of the world a little better. And this is how I do it. And it's in water. And that's, I think, what drives one of the that's what drives me is to to spread the word about that is just how if that's your if that's your jam, then this is your place. You know, like you impact every single person every single day. So I uh, 
<sighs> went down that little like water industry love uh, tangent for a minute. <laughs> Good. And, and you know, every, and that, that love that you're feeling is actually supported by the ancient scriptures, you know, even going back to the Hebrew Bible, which is referenced in the let there be water by Seth Siegel that you mentioned earlier, the amount yep. of mentions of water and the importance of water in the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, it's like hundreds of times. It's mm-hmm. just, it, it, it has been central to humanity for such a long time. And I think I agree with you that sort of the way we talk about water and the way that sort of communities engage with water needs to be elevated sort of away from just a place of something is wrong to um, there's a lot of incredible stuff that we can be doing and that we should all do together. Absolutely. And just like at, from a national perspective, going back to the um, the stats that you gave us on water reuse and this country versus other countries versus Israel. And I think one of the things from that book that I told Ariane about was just the difference where in America our um, rain, rain, go away. And in Israel, it's like, well, you probably know it and can probably sing it, but it's like rain, stay, rain, come. Like, will you sing it? Yeah. Well, well, I will say, and I don't know the song completely, but in like, I think it was like in the fifties, one of the most popular songs in Israel was called Hamam which literally translates to the sprinkler. So you had people dancing around the streets celebrating the sprinklers that were irrigating their fields. Oh my sprinkler? God, that's my best dance move, yo. Yeah, yeah. and I, that's why I brought that song up was just to be able to let you dance. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Sorry, all you listeners who it. are missing out right now. Yeah. You're probably not missing oh out. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, so tomorrow is hashtag World Toilet Day. Yes, it's so, the best day of the year. Best day of the year. Give me a downer and an upper. What's one hard truth, a major challenge we face in your world? And then let's end on a positive note and tell us one thing that makes you the most hopeful. In regards to black water. Yeah. Well, well, look, when it comes to toilets, um, it's something that we definitely take for granted in the developed world that we all have access to. it. It's not something we necessarily think about. It's a given. Um, But there are two and a half billion people worldwide who don't have access to toilets or don't have access to sanitation and the diseases that spring up from poor sanitation from water contribute to about 50% of the deaths that we see um, sort of around the world and especially in these contexts. That's the downer. The downer is that it's a huge global crisis, both in terms of having access to water and having access to sanitation. Now the upper (laughs) is that there is amazing stuff happening all around the world to address just this, um, you know, on sort of on sort of more of the, the the celebrity NGO side, you have the Matt Damons of the world, and you have the Charity Waters of the world who are raising awareness about these issues in a way that hasn't previously previously existed. And of course, there's the Bill Gates Foundation, and they're being the Toilet Challenge, sort of taking this to a whole new level. Um, that's all really really positive stuff, mm-hmm. but also on the innovation side, um, sort of innovation in the water sector is no longer just among sort of utilities and all the sort of amazing engineers and folks working there, but the amount of water incubators and accelerators that have sprung up yeah. all over the place. I mean, even Y Combinator, which is largely touted as you know the premier startup accelerator, just I remember two years ago, they put out a call for water startups, which they had never yeah. previously done. They recognized that this is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. So when you have sort of this mass mobilization of different people addressing these issues, it gives me a lot of hope because, you know, I'm a big believer in human beings are pretty crafty and impressive things. And when all of us are working on this and sort of even at the highest levels, um, we're going to figure this out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I was going to say, so the call to action for 
World Toilet Day is everyone listening, go home and give your toilet a nice scrub. I thought you were going to say hug. I thought you were going to say hug too. Scrub (laughs) first, then you can hug it. You know, like go take care of it. You know, you got a little dust on that top, on that back shelf. Like go ahead and clean it off. Scrub it around. You guys clean your toilets. I'm talking to the men. And then I want us to create a book that's all about poop puns that can go on the back of that clean toilet. I'm already on it. Okay. Yeah, I'll help you. I actually have a section in the back of my notebook I carry around with me. The last like few pages are just my poop jokes and toilet puns. Oh my God. I'm all on it. Okay. I My call to action for World Toilet Day is quit flushing those wipes. They're not flushable. Yeah. Just the three Ps. Three Ps. You want to tell them what they are? Not him, but you know, everyone else. Listening. Poop, pee, and paper. Toilet paper. <laughs> I like to say poop, pee, and paper of the toilet variety. Ah, oh, yes. gotcha. That makes sense. Not just, you know, like wide rolled paper, not that paper. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you know what? I have, a, I have the rare vantage point of being one of those people who has to deal with what everyone flushes down the toilet. And Yikes. the wet wipes really are the bane of the wastewater operator's existence. So we can figure out, and that actually might be a political thing that we need to really op- we need to, uh, to accelerate movement on. But yes, that's a great call to action. I support it. And thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, just put a face to a name. Like Aaron's photo will be on the website. So now every time you flush, you have to look at that face and say, why would you want to do that to him? Why would you want to flush that and just ruin his day? Like, don't do that. Just don't yeah. flush him. <laughs> That'll work with like three people. Uh, I have a story I will tell offline. So, (laughs) Um, but I want to end on an epic note with an epic story. And you told us this great story about the early days. Mm -hmm. Can you please tell us again, the story of cold calling kennels for poop? Yeah. So we have a general (laughs) attitude at Epic Clean Tech that you do whatever you need to do to get things done. To get the do. To get the do-do. And so um, in the early days of Epic, so believe it or not, it's actually very hard to get your hands on a large amount of sludge upon which to test. Mm. Um, so our technology. And so in the early days, we were actually operating on dog waste. Um, it's easier to access. It's not 100% the same. They're not using toilet paper, but dog waste <laughs> was our go-to. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were actually heading down to test our first machine that was manufactured down in Los Angeles. So we're driving from SF to LA. And I'm thinking, oh, you know what? I'll just call a few kennels on the way down. And sort of as each hour passes and we're getting closer to LA, I'm realizing, you know what? These people aren't so ready to just let a stranger come in and take all their dog waste. So actually, the first few calls, the f- first few calls were swiftly uh, hung up. And then after I sort of formed a script of, you know, let me talk to your manager, and then I would talk about Bill Gates Foundation and start sort of listing all of our credentials, and then finally. We ended up uh, uh, sort of 45 minutes outside of LA. I got on the call with the SPCA of LA. And after sort of they couldn't stop laughing for the first five minutes of our call because they thought it was a prank call, um, <laughs> we, we struck a deal. And they said, we'll give you all of the waste we have at our kennel, but you have to uh, be on our – fo- you have to take a photo and we're going to put on our Twitter page. So that was, my first, um, that was my first claim to fame was being on the SPCA Twitter page holding a gigantic sack of dog shit. Nice. <laughs> I love, love it. it. Poop famous. I can only imagine just like driving and you're like, um, 
I'm going to need to have some poop, some of your dog poop and just hanging up. And you're just like, what in the world? You know, like, I just yeah, wish that that would have been videoed. The F. Yeah, it literally was that. Now, the good news is that we are now, we have since, you know, we, we partnered with Stanford at the Codiga Center down, mm-hmm. uh, down at Stanford. And we have unlimited human waste <laughs> upon which to test. But uh, I still think very fondly back to my dog kennel days. Those were yeah. Fun. I guess you guys highly support bathroom breaks at your office. Yes. Constantly, yes. Always. If you're not in a bathroom break, you're not working. You guys are actually (laughs) welcome to sponsor the bathroom breaks at the next Catalyst event, I think. I think that would be a perfect fit. Perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Love it. So um, we're hired. We have new jobs and we have a sponsor. I love it. This is the best interview. Check. We can go home today. Um, Erin. This has been awesome. We are about to get into the lightning round. You think you uh, are ready for that? I was born for this. All right. Okay. What is your favorite book right now that you can recommend to all of us? Uh, the Torah. <laughs> okay. Yes. I love that. Great. Another one that we could read. <laughs> Not everyone can read the Hebrew. <laughs> Just kidding. You can also get it in English and a gazillion other languages. Um, my favorite book right now, actually... And this is going to be outside of the water industry, but it's a book called Rifka's Diary. Oh, okay. And it is, a, it is a, an extraordinary book about a girl living during World War II um, who was in hiding with her sisters in the Warsaw Ghetto during the war. Um, but it's basically, it's a newly discovered diary just, just come to light in the last few years. And it's, uh, it's essentially sort of, everyone's talking about it as if it's, this is like sort of the next Anne Frank. Wow. Oh my gosh. Um, and the side piece is that it was um, uh, edited by my mother. So oh I'm my very gosh. into it. Aww. I would be too. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mom. I love, I mean, I, I don't love, but I love all those stories about um, the survivors and stuff. I'm super into all documentaries, all podcasts related to that, all books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. I love I'm going to check it out. Yep. I'm going to read that one, especially now that I know the editor. Yeah. Sorry, that was not lightning. I feel like I'm supposed to be quicker on these answers. It's no, okay. They, they never, never are. are. <laughs> <laughs> What's something that you do every day that drives your productivity? Gratitude. Ah. I practice gratitude every single day um, that my big problems in life are getting to build a cool and exciting startup in my 20s. And that's what keeps me excited. And I'm always just very grateful. How, how are you doing that? Um, you know, again, it, it kind of goes to my own personal, my own personal history. Um, you know, I, I'm a first generation American. I'm a child of refugees to this country. My grandparents were Holocaust survivors. My father was a political refugee. So I know what human hardship looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I've felt it. You know, I've even experienced it in, in my own family hearing these stories. And I feel an obligation in this country where I've been afforded so many opportunities to do something great with it. And, uh, and I'm grateful that I have these opportunities and I get to do this fun stuff. And yeah, that's kind of my, my constant North star is coming back to gratitude. Mm. I love it. I do love that. Um, So in our line of work, when we dealt with behavior change, you know, we used to have people that would say, what difference does it make if I make a change? I'm just one person. I'm, it's not like I can change the world, but you know, we wholeheartedly disagree because we think that change can be contagious and you never know what you might inspire in others through your actions. So what is the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? 
You know, I think especially when we're dealing sort of with the massive issues of water or, or with climate change, I think a lot of people, there's a sense of sort of helplessness. Mm. And I think people are constantly looking for a silver bullet of how do we just fix this thing once and for all. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and I always sort of go back to there's a quote, sort of one of the top climate change voices, Bill McKibben, who says, um, you know, there's no such thing as a silver bullet, but there's silver buckshot. That ah. every single person has a responsibility and can in their own small way, or, or I should say their own ways, big or small, um, sort of ever so slightly move things in the right direction. So I'm just a big believer um, in everyone doing, doing your thing, whether that's starting a company or changing legislation or just, um, you know, getting your friends to do things just slightly better. I think everyone has an obligation to do that. Mm. Love yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 100% agree. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, thank you for taking some time out of a busy world, life-changing entrepreneurial yeah, day, course. epic day, and spending that time with us and helping us bring in World Toilet Day. And uh, yeah, we appreciate it. Yes, We're grateful you. that You're you spent this grateful. time with us. Thank there you. There is nowhere I would rather be than with you two on World Toilet Day. Aww. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never miss out on future episodes by signing up for the Water Nerd newsletter. Found at the h2duo.com forward slash newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. We share all of our new episodes there as well as in the newsletter. So whether we come across your feed or in your inbox, be sure to share episodes with your friends, family, colleagues, fellow water nerds. Help us spread the word. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world.